You're listening to the Sydney Opera House Artie Farty Podcast. And the dog actually walked over one of the artworks with muddy paws. <laughs> Get started and, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. This talk was recorded as a live-streamed conversation. Winkity wonk or shickity shake. <laughs> a writing I try to create characters from all different backgrounds is because that's what the world looks like. The fact that we are all in fact different is the thing that makes us all the same in many ways. Up next, Maxine Beniba-Clark. Hello everyone. My name is Ali and I am a performer and educator at the Sydney Opera House. Today, this land is called Benelong Point, but the traditional owners of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, called it Jubagale. And I would like to acknowledge elders past and present. Today, we have students joining us from schools all around Australia, and our very special guest is the incredible Maxine Beniba Clark. She's joining us from Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin Nation. Now, Maxine Beniba Clark is a writer, a poet, and an artist, among many other things. She has written books about her experiences growing up in Australia, short stories about what it's like to live in Australia today, and illustrated picture books where she may illustrate the books herself or indeed use other artists. Her books look at themes such as celebrating difference, expressing yourself, and of course, friendship. So we're lucky that Maxine is here today to answer our questions and to talk to us a little bit about her process and how we might take an idea and turn it into a story or an artwork. So please welcome Maxine Beniba-Clark. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you for joining us today, Maxine. Now, all of the students that are with us are really keen to get on, get on with it all and, and hear what you have to say about all this incredible work you've done. So let's begin with a video question coming in. And this first question today comes from Alex from the Sydney Children's Hospital School. My name's Alex and I'm from children, Sydney Children's Hospital School. How many books have you written? Thank you, Alex. That's a great question. How many books have you written? I've written 10 books. Uh, Four of those books are for children and six of them are for adults. And I've also edited two books. So they're books that other people have written that I've kind of helped them to um, arrange and make sure everything is right and the story is told properly, punctuation and all of those things, which I'm sure you all know a lot about from writing (laughs) at school. (laughs) Okay, so you've written a lot of books and even edited books, um, but the books are, are quite quite vast. There's different styles and different formats. Your first love, as I understand it, is really poetry. So can you tell us a little bit about when and how you discovered this love for poetry and, of course, the ability to actually be able to write it? I always grew up loving poetry, you know, right from learning nursery rhymes as a little kid and reciting them over and over and those kind of skipping chants and things you do in the schoolyard. And I think as a, uh, you know, 
upper primary school kid or maybe early primary school, I loved reading song lyrics and things like that. You know, they always seem to um, employ a lot of poetic devices to me. And I think that's just continued throughout my life. It's always been an art form that I've loved. And I think what I particularly like about it is just the ability to rearrange words so that they sound beautiful as well as telling a story. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think there's a huge link between poetry and music, isn't there, and the sort of flow and rhythm of how those words come together. So tell us, this might be a hard question, what's your favourite book? Uh, my favourite <laughs> books when I was growing up were, um, I really love Judy Bloom books. Yeah. Um, so I think my favourite book probably going into year six and seven was a book called Just As Long As We're Together by oh, Judy right. Bloom. Okay. Um, and I really enjoyed Babysitter's Club books. But as an, as an adult, I most enjoy reading the work of other poets. So poets like Maya Angelou or here in Australia, Ellen Van Nieven. Yeah. Um, yeah, just... I guess, po uh, poems by other writers like myself. Okay, great. And in the actual job of being an author, where that's what you do with your day and that's how you make your living, what's sort of the best thing about having that as your job and your lifestyle? I think just the ability to actually be able to tell stories. I mean, I think very few people get to do what they love as a job. And it's something that I haven't always done. You know, up until about 10 years ago, I was always working other jobs to kind of try okay. and support my work. Um, but just being able to tell stories and engage with people that way and know that you can be in their lounge room or classroom telling them a story without actually being there. Great. So you have to have a real curiosity about other people, I would, I would assume. Would, would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, part of what I love about uh, writing is creating other worlds, creating other characters. You know, they could be similar to me or they could be completely different. And just, I suppose, um, letting other people engage with those creations um, and meet them and, and let me know what they think of them. Okay, great. Well, let's talk about one of your picture books called Fashionista. Now, you not only wrote this book, but you also illustrated it. And it's a specific kind of illustration. It's called mixed media illustration. So tell us a little bit about that. What does mixed media mean? So mixed media is when you use different types of mediums or materials to actually create the illustration or the artwork. So when you're using more than one type of medium, so you might be using pencils along with paints. Um, in this case, I've used watercolour pencils. So they're those pencils where you colour in and then you can use a paintbrush and water to make the pencil okay. look like paint. Um, and also I've used collage from fashion magazines and different things bits and pieces, craft paper. Um, this illustration that's on screen at the moment, you can see that dress is made from bits of lace that I've cut out from different uh, fashion magazines from lots of different um, dresses and blouses and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, that collage element was really interesting to me in creating this book. So you've actually made these really beautiful illustrations and they look really layered, really textured, but actually the process, while not easy, is quite simple. Like, is that correct? You've actually cut out pictures that you liked from, from magazines and, uh, you know, other media and then actually good old-fashioned with your glue, stuck it onto drawings that you'd already made. Is that, is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of illustrations now are done on the computer. You know, you might have a sketch pad that you're sketching on, but it's actually on an iPad or something similar. But in this case, it was literally just me sitting down at a desk. Um, I would draw the figure and I would fill it in with watercolour pencil and then turn that into paint. And then I would overlay it by looking through fashion magazines and and thinking about the different textural qualities I wanted the artwork to have. Oh, that's great. Uh, I think it's just such an important message and we'll probably come to it again, but there's just uh, something really special in there that we don't need to have a whole array of really expensive or really um, clever digital resources. We can actually genuinely make, here they are printed in a published book, really beautiful artworks from the things we have around us. Yeah, I think that's something that I find fascinating both with the other illustrators I've worked with and and with my own work is, you know, what do I have lying around me that might actually fit with the theme of this book that I might be able to stick on or or utilise to make, I mean, not only because, you know, it's a good way of recycling or upcycling or using resources, but also because I think it makes the illustrations more interesting. Yeah, they definitely have a a style about them which is really engaging and I I couldn't drag my eyes off them, that's for sure. Um, Okay, poetry is really your great love. So why do you use poetry in Fashionista and indeed in your other picture books and not, say, just writing a story in the first person or in another way? I think poetry for me is it's when I start to write, that's the first thing that generally comes out. But for children's picture books, and, you know, it's interesting with Fashionista and when we say Black Lives Matter, you know, we see picture books often as, you know, those are things that you uh, look at when you're in prep, you know, or kindergarten, you know, depending on what state you're in, you know, when you're five or six or seven and then you move on to novels and things like that. But the the texts that I've created in this book are actually poems. Mm. You know, if you took them out of the book and put them on a, an A4 page, um, they would be a poem, you know, that could be read by anyone of any age. And I think that's what appeals to me as well is just creating this kind of, um, you know, story with, um, you know, with picture books you're also dealing with an an economy of words. You know, you need to use very few words to tell a story and poetry is a great way of condensing that story into a really small amount of words but still making it kind of have a rhythm and a a song to it in a sense. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Aside from the poetry, which is really clear and it gives it a beautiful rhythm, a beautiful musicality, what are some of the other devices or literary devices that you're using to communicate with your reader? So um, in most of my children's books, I use a lot of alliteration and assonance. So alliteration is uh, when you're using uh, words are close to each other, usually next to each other, that start with the same letter. So in the, or the same letter or the same sound. So in the patchwork bike, it will be things like winkety wonk or shickety shake. <laughs> um, and then assonance. So when you're looking at the vowel sounds within the word and, you know, what kind of noise that makes and whether you want to repeat it um, to emphasise it. Um, so I, I think a lot about the way these poems or books sound when they're actually read out loud. Uh, They're so engaging and so much fun to read. And I think that's really important because when something's really engaging like that, it really delivers the message. So just to wrap up on Fashionista, what is the main message that you would like a reader of Fashionista to take away from that book? 
Um, I think as a reader, you know, the idea behind Fashionista was expressing yourself with clothes, you know, no matter what you have um, lying around, you know, there's a, a sense of you can actually tell people something about the world, uh, your, you know, your inner world, I suppose, through what you wear. You know, you might wear yellow if you're happy or blue if you're sad or, you know, polka dots with stripes if you're <laughs> feeling a bit wild that day. So that kind of thing. And I suppose, you know, as a as a writer, if you all think of yourself as writers creating uh, works, I guess something to take away is um, that sense of being able to make work using anything. You know, fashion is something that we all have access to in terms of, you know, we all put clothes on in the morning and we all choose the way we wear them. Um, and so, yeah, thinking of the things in your lives that you might be able to make stories out of. That's excellent. Uh, okay, let's have a little look at another one of your illustrated books, The Patchwork Bike. I think this one might be my favourite. I just love it. It's so beautiful. Uh, we're going to begin with a question from one of our school videos, and this is from another Alex from the Sydney Children Hospital School. Hi, my name is Alex. I'm in Year 5 at the Sydney Children's Hospital School. And my question is, what were the streaks of pain in uh, The Patchwork Bike? What are the streaks of paint in the patchwork bike? Uh, thank you for the question, Alex. That's a great question. So the artwork in the patchwork bike was created by an artist named Van T. Rudd. And a lot of the pages or quite a few of the pages have this smear of paint, like you can see up on the screen there, um, streaking past. And I think he designed that to be the bike going extremely fast across this kind of desert landscape that the kids in the book live in. And I think it was an incredible way of creating this sense of motion through art without actually drawing the bike was just this smear uh, of paint whooshing across the page. Okay, so when you're going to write a book, particularly one of these illustrated books, uh, the pictures and the words are so linked in terms of delivering a message or communicating the story. So what comes first for you? Do the words come first or do the pictures come first? How does that process come together? For me, the words usually come first. Um, and the first two books I did, The Patrick Black and Wide Big World, they were illustrated by other people. Mm -hmm. So that might even be, in my case, why the words started to come first, was that okay. I didn't really see myself necessarily as an illustrator then. Um, it's changed slightly now. The, the, the words or the poem does always come first. But when I'm writing it, if I'm intending to illustrate it myself, I might be thinking about what I might be able to illustrate that line with. And once the uh, work is written and I'm sitting down, you know, with my pencils and paper and thinking of illustrating, sometimes I will change things around in the actual poem. You know, if I do okay. something with the illustration where I think this should actually be in the text, I might edit that and make it a little bit different. So words first, but there's some playing around and editing along the way. Okay, so I think that's really important, particularly to our students out there who might have an idea for a story or love to create art in whichever medium they prefer. Once you start to create something, you don't just do it once and then it's done, do you? There's quite a process and you have to morph and change. So can you talk us through a little bit what's it like um, and the kinds of teams of people that feed in to your creative process once something's started? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting process. And I think when I started to become a writer, I thought, you know, it would just be me in a room creating the work and then I'll give it to someone and it will become a book. 
And, you know, in an abstract sense, that is what happens, but there are lots of steps along the way. So for me, really first brainstorming an idea on paper that I'm interested in working with, uh, then spending several months, um, you know, not necessarily every day, but on and off for several months, playing with the text and trying to make it work as a story, uh, creating the artworks. And then once I think the book is kind of almost finished, I'll send those artworks to the publisher. You know, someone will pick them up and scan them and send those images to the publisher. And they might say, you know, actually, we'd like something else on this particular page. You know, we would like a different picture on the cover or something like that. So there's a lot of to and froing, uh, both in terms of myself editing my work and thinking maybe I can make this a little bit better or a bit different, and other editors, whether they're the editors of the illustrations or the editors of the text, helping me make sure that, you know, all the commas are in the right place and all the full <laughs> stops are in the right place and, and it reads like a book should. So the artist you worked with on the patchwork bike, whose name is Van T. Rudd, he didn't just create that on special paper, did he? He, he used um, materials from around him. So what are the actual materials that he used to create the artworks we can see in that published book? So, yeah, Van T. Rudd used old cardboard packing boxes. So if wow. you move house or if you get a you know, a fridge delivered to your house or, or, or whatever and there's a big cardboard box, he would, you know, open that up and flatten the whole thing out and then he'd use acrylic paint to actually paint onto the boxes. And you can see in, in the illustration that there's a bit of packing tape left on the box. I think that box has some instructions on it for assembling whatever item happened to be in that box that he's actually left at the top there. Um, and so, yeah, he re what really fascinated me with the way he worked was, you know, he never used a blank page. Yeah. So he always used something that already had markings on it and already kind of looked almost like an artwork. And there's a few secret stories in those artworks, isn't there, of like little visitors he got perhaps when he was creating the artworks? <laughs> There are. So Van T. Rudd is uh, normally a street artist. Okay. So he creates um, murals and sculptures and things that sit on the street or on walls that you can walk past. And so he doesn't have a studio that he works in, you know, a set particular room where he creates. So he made these artworks on the floor of his garage. And, you know, he had his dog hanging around <laughs> one day on a muddy, wet day, much like it is in Melbourne today. And the dog actually walked over one of the artworks with muddy paws. So <laughs> <laughs> if you have the book and you look at the page with the Fiori tree on it, you'll see these kind of slightly muddy marks going across the page. And there's another page in there that has these little tiny holes on along one of the sides of the pages. Um, and that was one of his kids kind of sitting there waiting for him <laughs> to finish bored with a pencil, stabbing the cardboard. And so I really like that all of these accidents ended up you know, really as part of the landscape of this children's book. Uh, it's excellent. It makes it, it makes it a really rich story to read. So let's take mm. another one of our video questions. Um, and this time we're going to hear from Lexi at the Sydney Children's Hospital School. Hi, my name is Lexi. I'm in year two at the Sydney Children's Hospital School. And in the patchwork bike, was it in Australia or somewhere else? I'd like to know, please. In the patchwork bike, was it in Australia or was it somewhere else? Thank you, Lexi. That's a great question. The patchwork bike is set in a country called Sudan, and that country is on the African continent. 
Uh, and really why I set it in that country was the idea for the patchwork bike came from me watching the news. And it was a news report coming from a place called a refugee camp where families stay when they can't live where they were and they're waiting to be sent somewhere else to live, waiting for a safe home. And I saw this um, vehicle in the background coming closer and closer to the camera while I was watching this news report. I thought that looks like a bike, but it doesn't look like a bike anything like I've ever seen. And it was a similar bike to the patchwork bike. Um, And so that's why it's set in Sudan, really. I wanted to set it somewhere where there were kids who really didn't have much and they were trying to make the most out of the situation that they had. Okay, so you're a writer, you're an Australian writer, but you've written this story that is set in Sudan. So why do you think it's important in books, in your books, but also in other books, to have stories that are set in different places that are different to the places that we perhaps live and work and go to school? Stories and books are partly how we learn about the world. And I think it's particularly important now. You know, we can't travel many places now. You know, COVID has hit. We can't just hop on a plane. And so how do we learn about other people and other people's stories and about the world at large? And that's part of why in my writing I try to create characters from all different backgrounds is because that's what the world looks like. Um, And... I think, you know, all of our lives are really enriched by learning about each other's lives. That's For me, that's part of what storytelling is about. Great. So let's have a little look at another one of your books, which is called Wide Big World. And just like in The Patchwork Bike, you didn't do the illustrations. You actually worked with another artist and her name is Isabel Knowles to create these illustrations. And once again... We're not using just standard drawings for these ones. They're very particular. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of creating these particular artworks for Wide Big World? So these these were created by a woman named Isabel Knowles. And uh, when I went to her studio while she was working on this book, you know, I'd written the words and I said, I'll I'll come and have a look at, at your artworks. And she handed me this kind of plastic Ziploc bag of just different shapes um, of uh, paper, coloured paper that she kind of dyed or painted that were cut out. And so the image that you see, it actually isn't painted on a piece of paper. Each of the shapes, so in that picture there, you know, the the girl's uh, clothes and their arms and their hair and the leaves, they're all separate shapes that are cut out from different pieces of paper. And they're placed on something called a light box which is a flat box, maybe about the size of a, you know, big computer screen. And a light shines up through the box um, and it's kind of glass on top. And so the light shines through the paper and almost makes it glow. And what Isabel does is she takes a photograph of that, uh, of all the shapes in that particular composition. And then that photograph is what actually gets sent to the publisher as the illustration. So she would create them and then she completely dismantle them, you know, take them all off and start again from scratch to create the next page. So all of our students listening today, they could, in theory, create a pretty similar artwork. They could draw their own pictures or paint their own pictures, cut them out, assemble them, put them together. Is that pretty much sums it up? They could make something pretty similar to what Isabel Knowles has created in your book. 
Yeah, definitely. And the key thing, if, if you want to try it, if you don't have a light box, which most of us don't have at home, you can do it on a window because, you know, when the light shines through from outside, you get that similar effect. And the key thing is also to use quite thin paper okay. so that when you put that up on the up on the window or to a light, you can actually almost start to see it glow and see through it. But yeah, it's definitely something that's fun to try at home that's or at school excellent. as the case may be. Now, in this book, in The Wide Big World, there is a character called Izzy and another character called Belle, and Izzy comments on the darkness of Belle's skin. In a lot of your books, you talk about what it was like for you to grow up in Australia as a person, as a black person. So can you tell us a little bit um, how that experience has shaped your writing, both in in your books for adults and, and also in your books for kids and young people? Yeah, great question. Um, So this book was based on actually something that happened in a memoir that I wrote. So the memoir is for um, older readers, really, um, high school age. And if you're actually in Victoria, it will be on the year 12 syllabus for next year. So you may end up, if it stays on the syllabus, you may end up reading it in year 12. But it's a memoir, which is a story about my life. And it's about my life until I was about 16. Um, And in the book, I talk about this first day of preschool and a little girl outside the preschool coming up and saying, you know, your skin is brown because she'd never seen someone who looked like me before. Mm. And so this book really is an imagining of what would have happened in that situation if a teacher had stepped in and people in the class had kind of stepped in and said, look, everybody's different and let's have a discussion about how different this schoolyard is. So it came from a real experience, but really reimagining that. And that was important to me, I suppose, because I didn't have books like this growing up that really represented my experiences. Okay. What would you like people in reading Wide Big World or indeed any of your books what would you like the readers of those books to understand about difference? I think that we all are different. You mm. know, Wide Big World really is about the fact that in some fundamental way, each of us is completely different to the other. And that yeah. what, that's exactly what makes us who we are. You know, what makes every one of us who we are is that there's nobody else the same. Yeah. And those differences can be small or they can be really big, but they're all there. And that it's not a scary thing. It's something to be really celebrated. Yeah. And that's really what Wide Big World is about. Yeah. We might even be able to say that the fact that that we are all in fact different is the thing that makes us all the same in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, let's have a little look about, at, at, at another book of yours called When We Say Black Lives Matter. We're actually going to get you to read this one all the way through. Is that okay? Yeah, great. Great. I'd love to. Great. <laughs> so, so this is When We Say Black Lives Matter. Little one, when we say black lives matter, we're saying black people are wonderful strong. That we deserve to be treated with basic respect and that history's done us wrong. Little love, when we call out Black lives matter. We're saying, walk with us, raise your voice, 
tenor, baritone, alto, soprano. We'll make a jazz howl of a noise. When we scream out, Black Lives Matter, and we march against falling night, we're saying enough is enough is enough, and we need to put things right. Darling, when we sing that Black Lives Matter and we're dancing through the streets, we're saying fear will not destroy our joy, defiance in our feet. When we whisper Black Lives Matter, we're remembering the past, all the terrible things that were said and done. We're saying they trouble our hearts. When we sob that black lives matter, we're saying trouble still stalks to this day, that we've seen it monster in the shadows. I must all help drive it away. My sweet, when we bellow, Black Lives Matter, we're saying, ain't no freedom till we get ours. And all Black folks still suffering, we'll stand with you, we vow. When we smile, Black Lives Matter, we're raising our spirits high. We're saying we are here and we are enough. Black, beautiful, brave, my child. When we laugh that Black Lives Matter, that's the ancestors inside. A thundering on djembe drums and guiding us steady to rise. When we know that Black Lives Matter, then darling, we know our worth that we are as precious as every soul whose story has journeyed the earth. We see you, black child magic, your radiant black shine. We hear your black lives matter. And we know we'll be all right. Thank you so much. Now, this is a really new book. It was written and published in 2020. And once again, you use poetry to tell a story and it's a really important story. So can you tell us why did you think it was important for you to write and publish a book called When We Say Black Lives Matter in 2020? Well, I thought it was important because at the time, you know, in 2020, there were a lot of protests around the world about the mistreatment of black people, whether it be Indigenous Australians here in Melbourne or African-Americans, you know, over in America or black British people over in England. And really it was about, you know, this idea of 
racial justice and racial equality, you know, that no matter where you come from, you should actually be able to have the same rights and the same opportunities and the same safety as other people. And I was, you know, watching these news reports about what was happening and really thinking, well, what do kids think about this? Do they Mm. understand Mm. what the term Black Lives Matter means? And the book was actually written as a poem for, um, you know, kids really aged 10 to about 13. Mm. And even though it's ended up as a picture book, um, you know, because I did artwork to go with it, the intention was to, I suppose, um, talk to kids about what that term Black Lives Matter means and the fact that it's not necessarily a scary thing, uh, that it can be really empowering and joyful as well. Okay, so... What would you say, if we say the term Black Lives Matter, what does that mean for you? For me, it means that um, really what we're doing is acknowledging that in the past there have been injustices against Black people um, Mm. all over the world. And because of that, there are some inequalities in the world and Mm. some uh, mistreatment that still exists today. So we're acknowledging that and we're saying that we don't like it and we want to do something about it. Excellent. Now, you did the illustrations for this book and they're beautiful. Um, And you haven't used mixed media in this one. So, So what are the illustrations in this one? So the illustrations in this book are using watercolour pencil, okay. uh, similar to the illustrations in Fashionista, but without the collage element. Yeah. Um, and I've done them kind of all on, I don't tend to use, uh, when I illustrate myself, white backgrounds. So they're all done on uh, different coloured backgrounds for each page. And um, so that watercolour pencil is sometimes just left as plain pencil colouring and sometimes I put the water on top of it with a paintbrush to make it look like paint. And the paper that I've used is really heavily textured. So it's kind of grainy. So when you look at the images and you see those little dots where you can see through to the colour of the paper underneath, that's because the paper itself is almost like a sandpaper. So it's kind of pebbly on the top. Yeah. And in when we say Black Lives Matter and also in Fashionista, I noticed that the characters or the representations of people in the books, we can see that they're they're people in their bodies, but their faces don't have features. The faces are blank. So we can definitely see that it's a face, but there are no eyes or nose or mouth. So why did you make that choice to not um, include the features of a face on the characters? I think with both these books, they are, I suppose, what I would call anthems. You know, Fashionista is a fashion anthem and Black Lives Matter really was created so that it could exist in Australia or it could exist in America or in Germany or wherever it wanted to exist. And because of that, I was thinking about this idea that the reader could be anyone. And Mm. I would like as many people to see themselves in these books as possible and imagine themselves almost in the world of this book. And I feel like once you put features... um, in, onto the um, image, you immediately think, well, this is what the character looks like. So it okay. creates that sense for me of hopefully appealing to different people um, on different readers all over the world. And you also reference in the book uh, the idea of ancestors and having a connection to our ancestors and all of those that have passed before us. So can you just explain why you find it so important that we make sure we're conscious of and maintain a connection to our ancestors? 
I think it's really important to know if it's possible um, who has come before us or even, you know, how what how our journey, you know, on this earth began. For myself, you know, my ancestors many, many, many hundreds of years ago came from uh, West Africa, somewhere in West Africa, I don't know exactly where, and they were taken uh, by the British uh, as part of something called the slave trade to a country called Jamaica, And and, uh, generations of my family lived in Jamaica until my grandparents, who then moved to England, um, and they brought up their kids there. Uh, So, you know, my mum and my dad's families both moved from that part of the world to England. And then my parents moved here when they were married and, um, and they had me here. And so I've got this wonderful history of passing through four different countries um, in, in my history. And I think it's phenomenal to think that, wow, you know, all those people, whatever they did in their lives has actually led to me sitting here talking to you. And I think it's really important to honour that and to remember our histories and also try and learn a little bit about each other's histories. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it's really wonderful to look at you, Maxine, who is an Australian writer, but you have a whole experience um, and ancestors that, as you say, travelled from four countries and all of those elements and all of those ancestors have brought brought your story here to Australia, which is coming across in your books now for for us all to read and share. I think that's a wonderful and really important thing to say um, and for us to experience as the readers, which is just wonderful. Now, just to finish up on when we say Black Lives Matter, just quickly... Why is it important for us to just keep reminding ourselves that Black Lives Matter? I think because for, you know, for everyone, there's a lot of hopefully work to be done, you know, in terms of how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves. Um, And I think, you know, really it's about equality and justice. And if we don't, you know, acknowledge that, yes, you know, black lives do matter, then, um, you know, those things that contribute towards people not having the opportunities that some other people have won't change. So when we're saying that, really what we're saying is I acknowledge that there's an issue here and I see it and I think it's important and I'd like to do something about it. Thank you so much. Now, we're coming up to the end of our interview and it's been just so enlightening and inspiring. We're going to take a final question from Talia at the Sydney Children's Hospital School. My name is Talia. I'm in Year 6 at Sydney Children's Hospital School. How, How long does it take to write your books? How long does it take to write your books? That's a really great question. And it can vary depending on the book. You know, books that I've wrote for adults that have over 200 pages, they can take anywhere between a year to three years. But for um, a book that's a picture book, usually the text takes me about three to four months from having that initial seed of an idea to having it completely written out and feeling like, okay, this can exist as a book. And that goes through many different processes from just putting ideas down on paper to doing a first draft. Usually the draft that goes in the book is probably number, can 
can be anywhere between number 30 to 40 oh, wow. of drafts. Wow. So <laughs> I know when I was a kid and I was at school, I used to hate editing my work. I used okay. to think, I've written a story. Why do I have to go back and edit? Um, <laughs> and as a writer, you realise that that never stops. Um, so for all of our yeah. students out there writing, um, they might have to consider, they don't, they don't have to create a story perfectly the first time. You have to sort of write, rewrite and edit things 30 or sometimes 40 times. So it's okay mm. for them to be unfinished when they first start an artwork or a story, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even some of the pages in the book, you know, sometimes it's it's just sheer, you know, you know, luck or practice or and you get one illustration right the first time and other times I could do one page of a book five times before oh, wow. I think okay, that's exactly the way I want it to be. Um and yeah, the same with the text that it's a constant process of of working out whether the words work together and sometimes you think that sentence isn't quite right, but what yeah. is it about that sentence that doesn't work? And so, you know, both editing myself and also getting feedback from all those people at the publishers who are the people who will actually print the book and put it together. There are also people there who will read it much like your teacher reads your work and say, you know, I think this is working and this is not working. Um, and so, yeah, it can be anywhere between, you know, three months writing the picture book and say four extra months illustrating it to, you know, um, can be a process of a couple of years sometimes. But usually I'm working on different, you know, I might be working on three or four different projects at the same time. Oh, wow. So I won't necessarily be sitting down working on the same book every single day. Okay. And tell us, where do your ideas or inspiration come from for the books that you finally write or the stories that you finally tell? Um, definitely from the world around me. You okay. know, that's kind of my my initial, you know, with Fashionista, I was thinking about this idea of, you know, how much I used to love fashion when I was growing up and still do and, and how much my kids loved, you know, trying different things out in their wardrobes. And when we say Black Lives Matter, you know, as I said earlier, just looking at what was going on in the world and thinking, I want to write something about this. Although those books are probably the most of my kids' book, they're the most non-fiction. So they're the most okay. factual, you okay. know, um, whereas, you know, the book I'm working at at the moment on at the moment, the kids book is about a bookshop, but it's about a magical bookshop. So I've oh, kind wow. of taken my local bookshop and I've made it into kind of this place where there's giants and trolls and all kinds of different things. So sometimes it can start as something really familiar and then end up completely <laughs> somewhere else. Well, well, I think we'd all love to visit a magical bookshop full of trolls and wizards. I, I definitely <laughs> will buy my books from there. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, to finish off and then we'll, we'll wrap our interview up, if one of the people, if one of our students listening today wants to get started on writing a story or creating an artwork or whatever it is they want to do, maybe they want to create a video game, who knows, it could be anything, what's some advice you can give them for getting started on that process and being able to stick to it so it goes all the way through to the end? I mean, I think it's about not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, the first thing in, in telling any story, you know, whether it is like video game world or, or whether it is um, books or, or, or illustration, is the idea. You know, they're all ideas. Um, and so what I tend to do when I start the process is just get a piece of paper and write down 
every idea that I have. So, for example, for when we say Black Lives Matter, you know, I would have a page where I might say, you know, I'm going to have a protest scene and I'm going to have somebody playing a musical instrument. I'm going to have people dancing in the streets. And out of that massive, you know, what I call a dump of ideas onto the page, I might only use three of them or I might only use four of them. But, yeah, just get started and and don't be afraid to make mistakes and realize that it might take a while. It's not something you're necessarily going to sit down and do and be finished in half an hour. Patience, I think, is key. Patience. That's a good one. So we can have a brainstorm. And I think that's really great because if there's one thing we've learned today um, with the artworks you've made, with um, Van Rudd creating published artworks, which are um, on packing boxes from the kids in Sudan who inspired the patchwork bike, who are using what's around them, really, as long as you have an idea, you can pretty much get started and get going. Would that, would that be correct? Yeah. And and don't be afraid that, you know, maybe you don't have, you know, if you don't have a computer, you can write the story by hand. Excellent. If you don't have paints or pencils, you can stick and paste things. Just that idea of no matter what you have, you can create something from it. That's excellent. I think that's a really great message for all of us. Well, Maxine, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you to all of the students, schools and teachers who have joined us today at the Sydney Opera House. And an especially big thank you to all of the students that submitted their video questions. It was great to hear from you and hear what you're interested in. Um, You know that you can join us at the Sydney Opera House for tours, workshops and author talks. We have lots going on in the digital education section, so just jump online, see what's going on and don't hesitate to call us up and ask us any questions um, and enrol yourselves in those things. We'd love to see you back here at the Opera House. Uh, Once again from me, I'm Ali Bennett. Thank you for joining us and thanks again to Maxine. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you. Bye, everyone, and thanks for joining us. To make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Artifati wherever you get your podcasts from.